Welcome to the Values Exchange Podcast. I'm Mike Cruz, your host, private pilot, author of Saturday Every Day, and CEO of North Texas Wealth Management, a firm dedicated to values-based financial planning. This podcast uncovers the values and habits of highly successful people and dives into how it has shaped their success and what you can learn from their personal stories. Thanks for tuning in to the Values Exchange podcast. Uh, I have a great guest here today. I'm excited. We're going to talk about the value of integrity and how you know you can um, learn from learn from him and his experiences, and perhaps just focus a little bit more on how can you have more integrity, build that character trait in your own life. So, um, great background. I want to actually read his bio because it's it's uh, pretty impressive. <laughs> So uh, Jack Lorraine III, he's a retired U.S. Army Chief Warrant Officer for, uh, appointed in 1976 as a Warrant Officer in the U.S. Army and serving actually in the U.S. Air Force prior to that, and as an Intelligence Officer in the Special Mission Units Corps and Army Tactical Level Units. Um, and the National Tr Intelligence Organizations, he, he retired in 1995, and after that was the Senior Principal Systems Engineer and senior business development manager at Raytheon and um, ultimately retired in 2016. And now since retirement, been very active in charitable work and giving back to, um, you know, in the community. So he's involved in the North Texas chapter of Military Order of World Wars, uh, Congressionally Chartered Veterans Service Organization, and as well as the MOWW Region 8, uh, which encompasses Texas, Oklahoma, Kansas, and he's the vice commander there. So, Jack, it's thanks Jock, for the invitation. Jock, he also goes by Jack. <laughs> but uh, so, Jock, thanks for being here. Thank you um, for the glad, invitation. Glad to have you. So, I want to kind of just when I was reading the bio, it was interesting because you were in the Air Force, went to the Army. So that's like question one, right? Like, <laughs> what happened? No. So, I grew up as a in a military family. Both my mother and father were Marines. Okay. Um, my mother was an enlisted Marine when my dad got a chance to go to officer candidate school. So she had to leave the Marine Corps to get married and to have me. And, um, so going through high school, I understood the Marine Corps. I knew, I knew the values that the Marine Corps had. My dad had, we moved around a lot. Um, when I got into college in Bowie, Maryland, um, while I was doing quite well, I just felt something was missing. And I wouldn't say that I was militant, because this is towards the towards the end of the Vietnam War era. Um, but I just felt the need to kind of go back and circle about serving my country and finding a finding a path. And candidly, at the time, the uh, the services that were most open to providing a technology kind of a skill was the US Air Force. So I joined the Air Force first, I, I signed up for six years after almost three, uh, I applied for the Army Warrant Officer Program while I was stationed at Langley Air Force Base in Virginia and working at the Old Point Comfort Yacht Club at Fort Monroe okay. Okay. <laughs> and was accepted. And uh, so in December 1976, uh, I was stationed at Fort, became stationed at Fort Bragg, North Carolina. One day I was in the Air Force, the next day I was in the Army and mm -hmm. never looked back. I just felt this is a great career choice for me and, and stayed with it. Okay. So. And I know it's like in the intelligence um, organization. And so there's probably some things I know that 
we probably can't talk about. But, um, you know, from that experience, what would, you know, amazing. I mean, you had um, tremendous success there. Uh, the Defense Meritus Service Medal, the Bronze Star, um, and then the Legion of Merit, which, you know, my understanding is it's the only uh, other medal that you wear around your neck besides the Medal of Honor. Um, so pretty, pretty uh, substantial there. But, you know, that military experience, if you go back, what, what are some of the kind of highlights of your military career um, as you reflect? So I was an uh, imagery intelligence technician. So we looked at Handheld photography, we looked at airborne uh, film, we looked at space-based capabilities as we progressed uh, from 76 to the end of my career. Uh, and all of that was designed to support, essentially to support the warfighter. I think the best, of, the best for me was most of my peers in the intelligence, imagery intelligence business, they wrote reports. You looked at an image, you wrote a report about it, the report's put into a system and it's filed and, and, and whatever. For me, I had the exceptional experience of being able to use that imagery to directly support military operations, whether they were special military operations or whether they were conventional, uh, like enduring Desert Storm conventional operations. Most of my guys didn't do that. And so I had that chance and I thought that was, that was kind of for me the highlight was be able to look at, know a guy that was gonna go in harm's way and provide, provide him directly information that he needed to do his or her job. Mm -hmm. And I thought that was, that was exceptional. And it keeps you on your toes. I mean, that definitely makes, gives you a different mindset, which kind of will lead us towards, you know, the discussion on integrity here in, yeah. in a little bit, so. Yeah. Um, yeah, absolutely. And then, I mean, and then the uh, Legion of Merit, I mean, that's given to you over a decade worth of right. service that was exceptional. And, um, you know, one of the things as I was looking at uh, your background that stood out to me was the, the TWA 847 uh, hijacking. Right. And that you actually right. were, were involved with that. Can you talk so, a little about that? So I had, uh, a number, I had a number of assignments with the Defense Intelligence Agency. Um, and then an assignment in a special mission unit uh, whose focus was on intelligence. Um, and the TW-847 was, was, was a terrorist, was a terrorism event. And most of my career I spent working in the counterterrorism problem uh, from, from its early infancy to mm -hmm. candidly where it is today, you know, yeah. in, in the technologies that support that. Uh, TW-847 was pretty interesting because I was stationed in Washington, D.C. working with the operational organizations that were going to potentially conduct the hostage rescues uh, either off of the airplane, whether it was at Beirut or, where, or, or if it was in Algeria, because it moved back and forth uh, to assault an aircraft and, and rescue hostages, or after it got to Beirut, uh, offloaded the passengers to different locations to, to, to find out where these people were being kept wow. and held to be able to support a rescue if it was approved by the National Command Authority uh, to get these people. And my job as an imagery intelligence person was to look at the available imagery that we had at the time, which was our, I call it our first attempt at an unblinking eye to stare at Beirut Okay. Okay. And some other locations in the Bacaw Valley, for example, in Lebanon, 
to look at where could these people be held hmm. and provide that information directly. And we were pretty good at it. We had a really interesting team of people uh, that were exceptional at what they did and uh, and worked together to provide that. So, oh, that's that's amazing. Um, and so, of course, you know, in the military, the the character elements of you know integrity mm-hmm. uh, plays a plays a vital role. Um, where would you say that that value? I mean, I, I honestly that you're here because you exemplify that that right, value. Right. But where would you say that came from? Is that something that you got from so growing I, up? Yeah, I, I, I do. I, I think that um, that my mother and father provided that. I mean, they lived that value. They had to. Mm-hmm. Uh, my dad was uh, had a company command when we were in uh, Albany, Georgia, stationed there. Got to Washington D.C. Uh, he was he had significant responsibility, authority and responsibility uh, for some functions in the Marine Corps, uh, stationed at headquarters Marine Corps, uh, Henderson Hall. And I could just watch him and hear what he said to me about values. You know, we had those discussions because uh, as, as you would probably figure, the, the late 60s, early 70s was a pretty turbulent time in our country. Yeah. And you had to, you had to think about the values that you wanted to see our nation be to come out the other end, right? Mm-hmm. And, you know, clearly, obviously, truth, you know, truthfulness was a value. I can remember as a child, my dad says, I was like, if you make a mistake, own up to it, because lying about it is worse, mm-hmm. it's going to be worse for you than what you did. So, you know, those kinds of things stick with you as, uh, as you, as you become an adult. But, but, um, Integrity clearly was one of those, and, and, it's, and it's a value that, as I've observed those that were in the community that I work with, in the, either the Special Operations Community, Special Missions Unit community, or the Intelligence community, was clearly one of the number one things that folks were looking for in you as, an, as a professional before, before they wanted to deal with you. I mean, if I was going to deal with a, uh, a special forces operator or special operations unit operator, and we're meeting to talk about how that support's going to happen, his first or her first things to ask me were the questions to draw out, was I going to be truthful and honest? And did I have the kind of in, the, the integrity qualities, those qualities that were going to work with what he needed or her, or she needed uh, to accomplish the mission, right? Sure. Um, I, I, uh, when you, we talked about this, the integrity, I had a chance to look at, uh, you know, do a little bit of research to kind of get my head yeah. adjusted about, you know, what is it? And, um, you know, you can get the, the, the dictionary definition, you know, the quality of being honest, and, uh, and having strong moral principles, and that's pretty general. Um, and then you can get to the point where I can remember a fellow from uh, L3 uh, concept organization that I worked with for a while, and he basically said, integrity is, is uh, say what you mean and mean what you say. And that seems like a very trivial thing, but think about that in life, okay? So you have to... To say what you mean, you have to have an understanding, a truthful understanding, you know, to, to understand the nuances of that, 
put that in perspective and then to respond to it and say what you mean based on that and stand by what you mean. Okay. Yeah. And I think, um, you know, what I've, what I've found to, to be true with that is to, no matter what the consequence is, if I say something or if I, you know, <clears throat> even what I would say, speak accurately or tell somebody something that ends up not being so, mm -hmm. I'll still stand behind that right. and kind of suffer the consequence of, well, I said I would, so I'm going to do it no matter what. And then it also makes you more careful the next time to <laughs> maybe I won't speak so fast. Sure. Let me make sure I have all of my facts right. Sure. And so that way you right. can keep that integrity. So I look at integrity as kind of a larger value, uh, you know, honesty, truthfulness, and those things. It's, a, it's the larger value of those things that come together. Um, I'll just say that in the that I did experience as most in, as most intelligence analysts did, uh, if they spent any time in the intelligence community, we experienced situations that would challenge how you wanted to present your integrity. Um, obviously, you had to be truthful. I mean, when you're looking at a piece of, of an imagery intelligence, it's, it's all about facts. Get, here's what I see. I have other information that tells me this may mean these things. That is put down on paper. What you present may in fact be contrary to what your expected audience wants to see or hear. Okay. Okay. It may not be, <laughs> you may be telling them something they don't want to hear. It's like, okay. So, and we had that occur. We would, we would have situations where uh, members of our, of our you know, surprise, surprise, our political community uh, had a per perspective that they wanted to put forward and they were attempting to use the intelligence community as a mechanism to support that. Um, in some cases we did because it was truthful. In some cases we did not. Okay, but, it's, but you have to have the integrity and the candor to stand up and look across the table at a, at a senator or a congressman, even though you're just an Army W-4, yeah. and go, sir, with all due respect, what what you're trying to do is not right. This is the facts. If we can support these facts, we, we can help you with, with positioning other capabilities to, to, to help you, but these are the facts. We can't change those. I'm not going to rewrite those. And, and that's what you do. How much would you say like maintaining your integrity in that situation is like just ignoring the consequences and just kind of stepping into it and just saying, here's what it is and I'm going to ignore the consequences? Or do you feel like it's more of facing the consequences and stepping up? Well, I guess the good news for me was I didn't really have a lot of situations where I had to, 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 uh, to go through that. Uh, there were a couple where you just knew that you, you didn't care what happened to your career because you knew there were lives in the balance. It's like, no, you, I've got to say exactly what what reality is as I perceive it to be to support this. I can't deviate from that. I can't fabricate. I can't do those things. The stakes and are too high. The stakes are way too high. Yeah. And and those are easy decisions to make. And you just kind of go, hey, I am what I am. And, you know, if they decide that they want me in a different position, that's fine. But but I can sleep at night. You know, I can right. go to bed and I can wake up the next morning and, and, and know that I've made the right decision. Um, I've watched that happen in for non-intelligence purposes, mm -hmm. non-intelligence personnel, pardon me. Uh, 
because it, it can be a very hard decision. And, and I think we've seen enough movies and, and read enough books about the special operations community today to realize that they are put in some very difficult circumstances sometimes. Sure. And candidly, the, the times where they have not been truthful or they've had, they've tried to attempted to hide the facts for whatever reason, protecting the organization, protecting the mission is when they've gotten into trouble. Right. Okay. So, uh, my, like I said, I fall back on my dad's thing is if you make a mistake, pick, you know, you're, you're probably going to get some correction for that, but don't lie about it because wow. that'll get a worse correction. Yeah. So that's kind of held true. Yeah. Um, can you remember a time where someone questioned your integrity? Um, yes, but I'm not going to talk about it. <laughs> <laughs> well, it can't leave us in Raytheon, so I'm just right, talking about right. He's not going to okay. talk about it. Yeah. 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 And, you know, I mean, I think we've all kind of experienced that. And to me, that's one of those moments where it's like, like you explained that you can sleep at night. Right. 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 And it's that reputation. It's so important when someone questions that it's a it's kind of a punch in the stomach. And it's, well, it is, you know, it how is. do you how do you recover from that? But, um, but, but I you, think that's the reason it's so while we're talking about this is it's so important to build your reputation and take on these values where mm -hmm. people would perceive you as a person of very, very high integrity. That would be like unquestionable. Well, and, and to your point, I think I would I would say that in the situation where that occurred, um, I just went, oh, interesting. So what I've got to do now is I've got to sit back and understand where this person is trying to come from for this reason, and then be able to work through that and set the stage that they do trust, mm -hmm. that you understand the integrity that, that I have and why I'm doing the things that I'm doing. And I think that once that happened, I don't, I don't know mm -hmm. if it fixed the problem, certainly, but, uh, but it, um, it, it, it wasn't as much of a challenge for me yeah. to work with that individual yeah. or that set of individuals. Again. So it may not have been really yeah. a personal attack. It may yeah. have been just a lack of communication. I think it was a lack of communication maybe sure. more than anything else. But. Okay. Yeah, so you talked about how your uh, parents really taught you integrity. Mm -hmm. How have you taken that and then transferred that to your kids? I think most of mine has been sharing how I live. They see how I live. They see what I do and what I don't do. And I'll tell them, I tell the kids the same thing my dad told, taught me. He said, if you mess up badly, you're probably gonna get punished, yeah. but don't lie about it. Yeah. You know, do those kinds of things. Take care of other people. Sure. Look, so, look at, I mean, just demonstrate those kinds of things. And I think my, my, my sons have recognized that. I think all, both of them have looked at that and gone, I know that he did these things mm -hmm. and I know he did those things out of the values that he was raised with. And my, my wife candidly has done a magnificent job of basically teaching them the same, the same moral principles and ethical principles before she met me. So they weren't, it wasn't like a new thing for them. It was just continued to be reinforced. And I think that was important because I could have been a different kind of dad, sure. you know, as a stepfather. I could have been a different kind of guy, but I, but we reinforce those kinds of principles with our children. That's great. So making that transition from business to military, I mean, is it, you know, military is, you know, kind of very structured and the values and the expectations and the chain of command, when you transition from that long military career to business, right? right. 
Is that challenging? I mean, how do you how do you face that? I would guess that it would. Well, be. as as a when as a senior principal systems engineer, it wasn't that much of a challenge. Okay. Because really, you're just you're just making sure that you're designing to the specifications of the contract. Okay. And if there were any issues associated with the design not being able to be achieved for financial reasons or technical reasons, whatever, you just bring that forward to management, and that's their issue to deal with. So that wasn't as much of an issue. But moving then into business development, where you really, at least within uh, within Raytheon or eSystems Raytheon at the time, uh, and then Raytheon, they you are the go between between the engineering capability of the company and your customer. Right? Okay. So my role was understand the technologies, which I think I did, and then understand the customer, which I think I did as well, and try to bring those two things together. And there's always a dilemma because it's a business. Right. You know, there, there's there's always that there's that pressure to we want to make more money or make money at this. And my challenge was always, while you leadership may look at the stockholder as your number one, because that's the business side, you're, you're trying to, 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 to be a value to your stockholders. My approach was I want to make sure that this is a value to our customer. So our customer will succeed, one, right. and two, will come back to us again because they were successful and they know we did the right things for them. Yeah. So those weren't always, you know, those, those little suns and moons weren't always aligned. There was always that pressure to, we need to make this less expensive or we need to try to do more to get more mm -hmm. value and those things. And then you just had to do, you just had to fall back on integrity. The good news was, I think that, Raytheon was very, very, very good related to ethics. That's we great. spent a tremendous amount of time taking great ethics classes on an annual basis and, and other classes associated with like, how do you deal with foreign businesses and other things like that? So that we would never, we would, we would minimize the chances of putting yourself in a position where integrity became a problem. Right. Right. Okay. So, so I, I, I was extremely comfortable, especially later on in my career in Raytheon, when they really took very seriously uh, the, the consequences of ethics violations, uh, both within the both what we're doing with our U.S. customers and other foreign customers. Mm -hmm. So, and so you know, in that sense, we're talking about integrity, mm -hmm. and I think for some, it's <clears throat> it's kind of like one of those things you're born with, right? Or is it really learned? So when you say these classes, do you think they're effective or is it kind of just something like you either have integrity or you don't? But we're obviously talking about it today because we think it's worth yeah. focusing on and that you can develop and focus that in your life and say, I'm going to be a person of integrity. It's really a decision. I would like to believe that parents today are, are teaching values, moral values to their children. I know mine did as I'm growing up. Moral and ethical values, mm -hmm. right? What's 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 legal and, and then what's moral? Because <laughs> sometimes they're not necessarily yeah. aligned, right? And uh, so I think as I grew up with those values, and I think things like ethics training, both in the military and then in, in industry, reinforce that. I think my concern would be is those that are coming into businesses and they're getting ethics training, and then they're going, oh, I didn't know that. You know, this is quite a surprise to me that we have to do these things this way. As a culture, you know, I'm I'm concerned that are we teaching 
both at home and then as we as we evolve, even in schools, are we teaching the values mm-hmm. that are going to make this country wonderful and make us productive and and be leaders in the moral and, and legal side uh, as we as we deal with our world? You know, sure. I. Uh, I had a chance to look online because I was wondering, I was like, well, how do you know somebody has integrity? Yeah. Right. How, how do you do that? And so I'm, I'm going to plagiarize this. Well, these things I knew, but but to see someone else put them down uh, on, on I'll call them 10 behaviors that signify someone has true integrity. I'm just going to read them because, okay. because for those in the audience, uh, I think if I read them, you'll understand what they are. I don't think I have to sure. you know, describe them anymore. Taking responsibility for your actions. Putting others' needs above your own. Offering to help others in need. Giving others the benefit of the doubt, right? How many times do we do that, right? Right. Choosing honesty in all things. I mean, I like the line Oprah had is, you know, what is honesty? It's doing the right thing when nobody's looking, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, Showing respect to all people. Uh, great leaders do that. For example, in the military, I, they, I, I would watch senior senior general officers go down and, and have good discussions with a private, you know, or an airman, you know, at who they had no clue who they were. And these are real, interesting, and honest discussions. Manifesting humility, you know, yes, people do great things, but you know, they do great things because, in a lot of cases, there's a lot of other people behind them. Sure. Helping them do that. Uh, being able to admit when you're wrong. And we, I talked a little bit yeah. a couple of days ago with you about, you know, it's understanding experience where you do that. And then how do you adjust when something wrong has happened? Being honest and accepting the consequences to be able to, to continue to have the integrity that you need to continue your job. Uh, showing regular reliability. In other words, it's it, you're you have integrity day to day. It's mm-hmm. not. I only have it when certain people are in the room or when people are looking. Or when it's convenient. That's exactly. Right. Yeah. And then conveying true kindness. Uh, I thought that was very interesting mm-hmm. uh, as well. So those are the 10 uh, behaviors I, I, that I saw. I, I don't know if I could add any more to that. I think those are just straight up. If you have those things, yeah. all 10 of those, I don't think anyone would look at you and say, this person lacks integrity. Sure. No, I would agree with that. And I think that's important because, you know, if you're if you're listening, I think it's one of those things you go, hmm, do I have the reputation of integrity? How do I know if I have integrity? And that's that's a great checklist. I it mean, is. That's, um, if you're doing all of those things, I think you'd, your reputation would be. Um, and, and I would contend that if solid. I were to look at what does it take to be a great leader? And I would read these same thing, these 10 things back to you. I'm not saying a manager, but a great leader. Right. And, and I would read these right back to you and say, those are typically the characteristics that you would see in, in guys, in, in, you know, men and women that I've served with in various capacities, either in defense or in mm-hmm. industry, that really, did, that really did transcend the day-to-day, I'm just doing this for the dollar. Mm-hmm. To I'm doing this because I love the people that I'm working with, and I love the job that I'm doing. You're really serving right. others. Exactly. You, yes, you're yeah. serving others. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's great. Talk to me a little bit about kind of what you're doing now in retirement and the the organization. And you know, the minute you retired, we kind of talked, and I was like, 
oh my gosh, I think you're involved in like 20 different organizations. <laughs> well, <laughs> He's yeah. full-time working yeah, so for I, free. Yeah, well, I, I, I retired in 2016. Um, and my and I had a good long discussion with my wife. And we actually talked about it for a couple of years. I think we even mm -hmm. talked about it when, when we were uh, working with your company at the time about, you know, what's the next steps? What do you mm -hmm. want to do? What I didn't want to do was just leave because I was tired of what I was doing. I wanted to have something else that I wanted. I wanted to have a real reason that was positive why I wanted to, to go and, and, and I'll call it not retire, but, but uh, you know, refocus. Right. You know, I'm, I'm, done, yeah. I'm done focusing on this, this book, this chap, these chapters in this book in my life. I want to do something different. Yeah. And I, I focus that, you know, when we talk about retirement, I would say, don't just quit. Right. Retire to something. Right. right? Do something that's meaningful, right. that fulfills you. Right. And it's really important, uh, just to you know yeah. live that life. So I, I you know, I, I'd say I'd say one of my books was giving to my country, and I think the service was that. Uh, my military career was that giving to my country. The next was you know giving to my industry, giving giving back to uh, in a sense to the, the members of my military. Uh, family to give those things and then the next chapter was give back to my community and so when I initially retired uh, I went to uh, be a volunteer at a hospital for about a year and a half uh, as a volunteer member and I went to become a volunteer at uh, the George Bush library okay. for a couple of years until COVID hit <laughs> okay and then I said you know I really did I, I really missed the, the connections with uh, members of the military as it relates to the community, right? So I wanted to be able to do both. And, and finding a niche veterans organization that does that is not that easy. So I found one, I actually looked at a number of them and I found one with the Military Order of the World Wars and joined, joined them, I think about the same time I retired, uh, actually 2017, so I retired in 16. And just to see what they were doing and get a sense of, hey, are these, are we aligned in, in our values and what we want to do? I actually joined the Dallas chapter first and then uh, became a member of the North Texas chapter that meets up, up in here in Plano, Texas. And it was a great alignment once I moved to the, the, the location here in Plano in that it was a very, very small chapter. In fact, it was a chapter mm -hmm. that probably was getting ready to disband because of lack of leadership. Or let, I shouldn't say that. We had some great leaders. We had some great leaders that weren't going to step up <laughs> into, okay. into the official positions in the organization. And I just said, I'll, I'll try that. Okay. You know, and then, and then build, build the organization, get them back together post COVID and then, uh, and then start to focus on our, on our programs. Uh, one of which is youth leadership conference. Uh, we hold that at several university locations here in, in Texas and in Oklahoma. It's about a one-week uh, thing for uh, high school students to attend. And I think I'll call it civics on steroids. It's things that aren't taught today. Uh, we're taught in my generation, but aren't taught today in schools mm -hmm. for a lot of reasons. I mean, it's, you know, there's a lot of other subjects that need to get taught. But, but we, talk, we talk about the legal system. We talk about the Bill of Rights. We talk about the Constitution. We talk about... You know, our founding fathers, why things were, were put the way they were. Um, we have some great speakers that come in and, and talk to them about 
about these things that are professionals, former judges, <laughs> former congressmen, wow. right, and senators that will talk about our system of governance so that they can understand that. We also work with our ROTC and our junior ROTC programs, basically um, working with the ROTC programs to recognize the students, the cadets. Okay. As, as they do exceptionally good things. You know, a community recognition is important to them. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then we work with scouting programs and, and we do some other things, national security programs and, and national, uh, and then work with the, uh, I'll call it the first responder community. Again, a recognition more so than anything else. But it's a real need, it's, neat. it's a hands-on organization. So I've been the commander now for a couple of years. I have a a good friend of mine, a, a retired Army Major General, who's okay. my vice commander, okay. uh, Gary Bunch, that's going to step up and take command here in June. Nice. And I'm going to be the vice commander for the region again this year and, and potentially uh, in 2024 become the region commander. I mean, that's kind of my goal. My personal okay. goal is to do that. Nice. Okay. So it sounds like you, you've had a life of service. <laughs> and I will continue to have a life of service because that's what, to me, is the most important thing in my life is to serve others. Yeah, oh, that's great. I like that. Um, so what can we say? You never really get there without help. So who do you feel has helped you the most um, throughout this career of life of service? Well, obviously my God, but and my wife has been an extraordinary help. Uh, once we were married in 1991, I'd say before that in my military career, I had... I had a mentor. Uh, he's, he was a, he was when he retired. He was an Army three-star general, okay. uh, Sidney T. Weinstein. He was the the deputy chief of staff intelligence for the for the United States Army when he retired. Mm-hmm. And what he did is he selected three or four commissioned officers, three or four warrant officers, and three or four senior list uh, members, and mentored them throughout their career. And it was such a, a great experience he would interject into your career when he saw you might be going in a direction that wasn't in the, either the best interest of the army or the best interest of you <laughs> or him for that matter right. in some cases. But, but it, but his was always about honor, duty, country. He was an, a West Point graduate, integrity, on candor and those kinds of things. It was, those is the discussions with him were not necessarily about your job performance. They were about how can you take how can you take these values that you have, inculcate them in the business that you're doing, and share that with people that you work with. So his challenge was always, well, Jacques, you, you need to find some mentors as well, some people to mentor as well. And and I think I had the opportunity to do that in, in a few cases. There was a uh, a young captain that I worked with, the name's uh, Ted Nicholas. He re- retired as a three-star general. Ted and I worked together at Defense Intelligence Agency uh, back in the 83 to 85, 86 timeframe, mm-hmm. working the counterterrorism problem. And I tried to mentor Ted about how you do the technical side of this business so that when, when he moved from there to another command assignment, which he did, he understood the body of work that those kinds of analysts did or could do, right? And so that was that piece mm-hmm. of it. And then the other, obviously, is, is teaching your other 
junior warrant officers those skills, helping them, those non-commissioned officers that you look at and go, I think these guys would make some pretty good technicians, right. how to get them skill set and trained so they could become a warrant officer as well. Yeah. So, yeah, It's kind of interesting. Uh, the previous guest on the podcast, Tom Perkowski, we talked a lot about how it used to be that mentoring was really mm-hmm. big, but also that people stayed in their careers for a really long time. Right. So it was natural to have this mentorship program, you know, system. And now with, you know, jobs changing very quickly or every couple right. of years, that now the basic system of mentoring has kind of shifted yeah. to outside into executive coaching or coaching or you go hire someone. And um, I'm concerned that's a lost art. I mean, it, yeah. while it's it's good to do that so you don't mm-hmm. lose it, but is that the right answer? You know, that, that interpersonal relationship is important, I think. Yeah. At least it was for me, and and I, as I tried to use those skill sets, both in the service and in, in industry to mentor others, mm-hmm. it was important to have that personal relationship. So they understood you were doing this for the right reasons, right? Not just to get a dollar in your pocket, as a guy that's being paid to do that, right? It's all volunteer, right? It's all to serve, so. Yeah, that's a that that's, that's the view. Right. Is it, is that's it the view more, that I is it more effective inside the organization? Somebody volunteering, somebody yeah. wanting to give back. So well. I, I don't think I ever got executive, I'll call it executive coaching, because mm-hmm. I don't think that really was a big thing for unless you're a V a VP and above in, in mm-hmm. Raytheon, uh, back when I was there. But I got a lot of mentoring. Okay. And I mentored others. So so it was, and it was again, it was personal. And and to me that was much more important. Right. Uh, because candidly, you got to see both the good and the bad of the individual mentoring you. Mm-hmm. You got to see their flaws and their good sides, mm-hmm. and could and could synthesize that obviously, and go. These are the, the qualities that I want to then bring forward. So I could look at some and go, this guy was excellent doing these things, but not so great at others. I don't want to. I don't want to focus on that. I want to focus on the excellent skills. Bring that into my my body of work, and then bring that mm-hmm. forward to others. Right. And I think there's a difference, too, because when you're the customer and you're paying for an executive coach, they basically ask you, like, what do you want? Right. right. Or what's the obstacle? And they help you get right. over that. So I think there's value in that for sure. But let's face it. The executive coach isn't saying, hey, you need to have honor, integrity, right. trustworthy. Yeah. You're not paying them to tell you you need right. to develop these values. Right. Where it was within the organization that me- that mentoring. Right. You do right. get that because right. it's important. It's true. So, it, you know, we, we uh, I think there's a lot of organizations that have either a code of conduct or a code of ethics, mm-hmm. right? And when I was growing up, they didn't have those things. I mean, I think journalism did. Okay. Uh, there's always been a journalistic code of ethics. Nobody in the journalist community that I see on TV clearly understands that anymore. <laughs> Sorry, but <laughs> my opinion. <laughs> facts, just present the facts, you know, right. Um, <laughs> but, but it's, what's interesting is now is, is, is to read that I would say fairly recently, a lot of organizations have published their code of ethics or their code of honor or whatever, because they didn't have anything before and people, and people weren't being taught what's ethical behavior. What's, what's, you know, what's the golden rule, so to speak. Mm-hmm. Um, I discovered just doing a little bit of research that in 2014, 
the Director of National Intelligence for the United States government, published principles of professional ethics. I never thought hmm. that you would have to do that, right? I mean, it just didn't cross my mind that you'd actually have to publish something like that have to write it for down. the intelligence community to go, oh, these are the things I have to do, yeah. <laughs> you know, as part of my job. But I'm glad they did. I'll just, you know, the, the, there's a number of them, and I don't, I don't think that they necessarily rank in any order. Uh, the, there's, there's seven of them. First one is mission. Uh, that's selfless dedication. It makes sense. When you go into that profession, you're not doing it for uh, a big paycheck. You're working for the federal government. You're not yeah. going to get a big paycheck. Right. Okay. Right? You're doing this because uh, lives are on the line. Truth. You're seeking objectivity. Everything that we did as an analyst was about finding the facts, finding the truth objectively, not trying to put your opinion in or the opinion of others. It was all about very objectively doing that. And, and, and candidly today in the intelligence community, they have what I would call a red team. So if you have, or if you have a, a forceful position, you'll have some group that will challenge that just to keep things factual, nice. right? There might be another reason that bad guy X is doing these things other than what you see them doing, for example. Mm. Uh, lawfulness, obviously constitution, civil liberties, human rights are, are clearly part of, of that. Stewardship, uh, stewards of a public trust and accountability. Uh, they look at the intelligence community to be that, those things. Excellent, seeking to improve and collaborate, meaning sharing. So how do you improve and then how do you teach others to improve based mm. on what you've learned? And diversity, uh, which was never, which was not an issue when I was in the in the service. Um, you know, the military has, has typically been on the leading edge of, uh, of I call it social revolutions, bringing bringing diverse groups together to do a, a mission. But diversity is is part of uh, what the uh, the DNI mm -hmm. uh, decides. Inclure, inclusion encourage differences in ideas and thinking. So diversity not only in just people, but in the thought process, and then. Integrity. Integrity. He writes it. Absolutely. Integrity. Conduct of actions. Conduct of actions. Conduct of actions. So to me, that was kind of, aha. Uh -huh. The intelligence community recognizes these things, but has to put them out into the public uh, mm -hmm. domain so that others understand these are our principles. This is how we operate right. on a day-to-day -day basis. And then you as an analyst, these are the things you need to be doing on a day-to-day -day basis mm -hmm. in order to be the kind of person that that uh, should be part of the, the intelligence community. So if we think about like, you know, just business in general and kind of how we embellish the resume or, you know, social media and kind of put things out there, where's the line between like integrity and just, you know, trying to advance? Businesses, I've watched businesses over the year. There's, there's always that uh, best business practices. And, and you've watched best businesses practices shift in directions that years before you go, that would not be considered ethical to do. I think there's a difference between, as, as we've seen in a number mm -hmm. of cases, there's a difference between what's lawful and what's ethical. While you can embellish a resume, it's considered lawful unless you do something unlawful in the resume that you're writing. 
sure. that's causing some unlawful action. Is it ethical to do that? Absolutely not. Why would you do that? So you have to ask yourself the question, as you're writing that resume as an individual, why would I do that? Do I want to get a better job? Make more money? What is your motivation for it? And so I would encourage people that think about those things is starting to look at what's my motivation mm-hmm. for doing this? Unless they're a crazy person. It could be those well, that are out there, right? And sometimes but, the answer is everybody else is, is doing it. And yeah, so if but, I don't develop some, then but, I'm not going to be competitive. That's not the answer. That's not the yeah. answer. So when because, you say a because, line, because that's a flawed, that's a flawed reason. Mm-hmm. Philosophically, I mean, it's just, you just, philosophy 101 would say that is just an abhorrent reason to, because everyone else do it. Yeah, right. Yeah. right. Just, just wrong. <laughs> so many different ways. So you have to look at the ethical side or the moral mm-hmm. side of it and go, would, would I as a boss, if I were the boss, would I want to have someone come in to my organization that wasn't being truthful just to get in? You know, would you want that? pretty terrible it is it is pretty tough because where's what's the next line what's right. the next right. step what you know so well it's okay we said, now for me to do this if i can do this right why don't i just skim some some off the you know so when we talk about integrity and we say is there a gray zone your answer is no i i really don't think there is there's a line there's a line and it's the individual the individual has to determine that line but other individuals need to look at someone and say, you've crossed that line. You know, there, there, there needs to be some path, some yeah. counterpoint sure. to, hey, you've, you've done this, you've embellished a resume, but it's like not just a little bit of like I got a, a 4.0 average versus a 3.5 GPA in college. You know, you have, you've, mm-hmm. done, you've crossed some lines here mm-hmm. and that's not ethically correct. And therefore, you're not the kind of truthful person that I want that I want in my organization. Makes sense. Yep. So integrity, last question here. If we said, how has integrity shaped your success? I don't think I've ever looked at it that way. I've just felt that I, I kind of try to look at how am I dealing with someone so that they know that I'm trying to deal with them upfront, honestly. For the right reasons, and they can being, count on you, and then if they can count on me, yeah. I don't ever want to deal with a person um, for a significant reason and be viewed as someone that they can't trust, and and, and lacks the integrity mm-hmm. to be part of what they're trying to do. So you got to be willing to, to lose the job, lose the deal, draw the line, stick to it. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. It's great. And I, and I think that if a person goes through that process, in my mind, and says, man, I just, I can't, I can't do, I'd love to do that, but I can't do that with what I have, that's a challenge for them to then take and go, what do I need to do <laughs> ethically and, more, and, and legally mm-hmm. to build myself to that point? Sometimes you can do it, sometimes you can't. Then you've got to recognize what, what's your capabilities and limitations. I think that was one of the big things that came out of working uh, in the special operations community is you very quickly became pretty realistic about what you could and could not do. Sure. What your capabilities and your limitations were. It's crucial. It is absolutely crucial. I, I, last, last little story, and it's a good one. 
the if you look at the Blue Angels or the Thunderbirds air air teams, and you watch their process, pre-flight and post-flight about what they're going to do, especially post-flight, they sit down collectively and talk about individually what they did right and wrong. No harm, no foul. That makes that gives everyone then has great integrity. Everyone on the team understands what each other's capabilities and limitations are. Now, if you make a bad mistake, you're not there anymore, but that's life. Yeah. But, but the fact that you could sit there in, in a great candid environment and say, I can do these things, but I can't do these, is very important. Our country needs to realize that. People need to realize that. That's what's going to make us great. That's right. It's important. Yeah, it is. Thanks for your service. Thank you. Thank you for inviting me here. Appreciate I appreciate it. it. All right. Thanks for tuning in to the Values Exchange podcast. Um, as we you know, uh, proceed developing values, focusing on how we can improve, be successful. And next time we're going to talk about personal branding and how you can uh, continue to build your reputation, focus on your personal brand. Thanks. Thank you.